Let me read a couple of verses out of 2 Kings chapter 23. Matter of fact, I should tell you which ones. Verses 21, 22, and 23. I want to bring you a message tonight called A Large-Scale Burst of Joy. And I'll tell you in a moment why I chose that title. 2 Kings 23, verse 21. Speaking of Josiah, it says that the king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant. For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel or during all the days of the kings of Israel or the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, the Passover, this Passover, was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. For several weeks, we've been studying the life of a young guy named Josiah. He was eight years old when his father was assassinated. His father was a wicked king in Israel, one of the most wicked that Israel ever saw. He only lasted two years before he was assassinated. And so at the age of eight, Josiah took the throne. I want you to think about that. A third grader ruling on the throne of Israel, God's people. And for the next 18 years, He did his very best to kind of angle himself towards God. We don't know who tutored him, who grew him, or groomed him in the faith. My guess is that it was his his mom. That's my guess. It could have been somebody else, but that's usually the way it works. When a dad's not in the home, sometimes the moms come and become all things to that child. But somebody taught him about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so by the time he was 26 years old, an amazing thing happened in Israel. For the first time in young Josiah's life, as he had ruled for 18 years at that point, he read his first verse of Scripture. Not because he was lazy, but because the Bible had been lost in Israel for 57 years. Nobody had read the word because it had been lost in the temple. During the renovations, they found the copy of the scriptures. He was read a passage probably out of Deuteronomy 28 because when it was read, it obviously had an impact on him. He realized that he and his people had been disobeying the word of God because they were ignorant of the word of God. So we repented before the Lord and he enacted a couple of years of massive reformation in the kingdom. Remember what we talked about last time that he not only had torn down all of the altars and all the pagan altars and all the what they call polytheistic worship. It's just a fancy word that means they worship a lot of different gods, and we've gotten into all of that. If you weren't there for those messages, you can go to the church website and you can listen to them there. But the reality is, is this. By the time he was 26 years old, after reading the Word of God, he had changed the entire landscape of a nation. He had, as the primary ruler taken the reins of a nation that was so far away from God, and he used his influence, his leadership, and his authority to say, we will live holy lives as a nation before God. And he put his money where his mouth is. He stuck his neck out on the line, did a lot of um, unpopular reformation that, that really changed the way people were living. Now, after all of that hard work was done, we come to this chapter. So all of the hard work is done. It had been a year solid of really hard work, and then several years before that of minimally hard work, bringing the people back to God. And so Josiah, in reading the scroll and reading the Jewish Bible, he recognized that it was now approaching the time to obey yet another command of God, which was the command to keep the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, this had not been done, the best that I can tell, since his great-grandfather's day, King Hezekiah. So somewhere around 75 to 90 years, the people of Israel had not celebrated Passover. 
And so that's the context that we're going to look at tonight. The Bible gives us a couple of verses that we just read saying that this was the most amazing Passover that Israel had ever experienced. But in order to really get a picture of what that looks like, I want to go to 2 Chronicles chapter number 35. If you didn't bring a Bible, these verses are going to be up on the screen. So let's go there and let's figure out what is it, what's the big deal? Why are we talking about a celebration that happened a couple of thousand plus years ago of a king in Israel who celebrated a Jewish feast? Why is that important? Well, let's take a look at it. Go with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 35, and let's begin reading there. And I want to show you the steps that young King Josiah took, and all of these are important, and it's not just a history lesson. It has everything to do with me and you today who celebrate the true Lamb of God who was slain, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. So we read this. It talks about Josiah beginning this by pursuing oneness with the people. In chapter 30, uh, 35 of 2 Chronicles, we read this. Josiah kept the Passover to Yahweh in Jerusalem. They slaughtered the Passover lamb, and on the 14th day of the first month, Josiah appointed the priests to their offices, and he encouraged them in the service of the house of the Lord. And he said to the Levites who taught all Israel and who were holy to the Lord, put the holy ark in the house that Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, built, you need not carry it on the sh your shoulders. Now serve the Lord your God and his people Israel. All right, we're going to start out in low gear here, but stay with me. In this picture, we see Josiah, again, he seems to always be kind of like a, a one-man leadership team. He's got lots of people that are willing to serve and willing to get involved, but they had had no godly leadership for years and years. And so Josiah is summoning the people. It's a time to celebrate. It is Passover time. Now, if you're new to your Bible or you're new to Jewish history, the Passover was given in the book of Exodus chapter number 12. It was given again in Leviticus chapter number 23. And what it is, is at a time where God commanded his people, I want you to commemorate and celebrate your deliverance from 400 years of slavery in Israel. Remember when the people, excuse me, in Egypt, when the people were enslaved in Egypt for four centuries, Moses went down, the ten plagues hit Egypt, Pharaoh wouldn't let the people go, but on that tenth plague, where the firstborn, firstborn male of all of the Egyptians was slain when the death angel came, do you remember what Israel did to mark themselves as people over whom the death angel would pass? They put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of their house. That blood of a sacrificed lamb kept them safe from the plague of the death that was coming into the land of Egypt. When they split the Red Sea, they walked across, they got into the new land, God commanded the people, I want you this time every year to commemorate the Passover, passing over the Red Sea, commemorate it, and I want you to do this. I want you to have a certain meal. I want a lamb to be slain. I want you to eat the lamb. I want you to eat these bitter herbs, and then I want you to begin seven days of a feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, that doesn't sound all that dramatic to a bunch of us who were probably most of us raised in a Gentile Christian uh, country or home or even kind of um, adaptation of Christianity. But for the Jews, this was the celebration. And yet for many, many years, nobody in Israel had celebrated the Passover. They had lost their sense, their spiritual equilibrium. They had lost their commemoration and their celebration of God's deliverance on their lives. And so when Josiah had the scroll read to him, he realized it's time almost for Passover. We're going to keep this celebration like has never been kept before. And that's what the rest of this message is about. Why am I even talking about this tonight? 
Because, friends, these are days where the Lord is definitely calling us to deep commitments in the kingdom. He is calling us to examine our hearts and examine our minds, examine our lives, examine our faith. He's calling us to put away plain church when Billy spoke on Sunday morning and then uh, hearing him later on and just talking about uh, at all staff meeting on Tuesday, just the prayer meeting, his heart and his longing for revival and holiness in the church, it just resonated with me that this is a call of God on our lives as Christians to recognize the gift that we have to recognize what it cost us to be able to say, I am a child of God, my identity is in Jesus, I am saved, I am forgiven, I have an eternal paradise home with the Son of God himself, all of those great riches. And yet, you know how easy it is for you and for me to coast through the grind of life, to lose our way in the labyrinth of the rat race, to have all of the have-tos two inches in front of our face, and we get so overwhelmed with a daily grind that sometimes we're much like Israel. We forget to celebrate who he is and what he has done. And so not only do I believe that these are days of deep commitment that God is calling us to, I believe equally that these are days of great celebration that he's calling us to. That friends, if there is a people group on planet earth that have a cause and a call to rejoice and to live in joy and to live in triumph and to live in hope and to live in confidence and to live in a way that magnifies God, it is only us who comprise the church. And so when I think of their Passover, I also think how long they went without it. And so I question myself, how long will I go without high levels of joy? How long will I go just kind of giving a token nod to the blood of Jesus on my life and my position in Christ and my salvation, yet while I might live days or weeks or months absent of joy? And just as Josiah rose up in Israel, I feel the Holy Spirit rising up in me, leading me, leading you, and saying that we will not be dormant in our celebration anymore. So let's go a little bit further into this, further into 2 Chronicles chapter number 35. As Josiah pursued oneness by getting all of the priests, himself, his cabinet, and all of the people together on the same page for the Passover, we move down into verses 4 through 6, and we see that before the celebration really took off, Josiah also valued order. Now, a lot of people think, well, order kills celebration. A lot of people have been brought up to believe, well, if the Holy Spirit's moving, there's no structure because structure always quenches the Spirit and order always quenches the Spirit. And if we're really going to experience the Holy Spirit, it's no holds barred and no parameters. Well, um, kindly, I'll just say you are wrong if you think that way because God is a God of order and he can't contradict himself. And so when we see this, look in 2 Chronicles 35 verses 4 through 6. And first of all, we see as the Passover was getting prepared, we see what I call human order. Verse number four, I'm not going to stay here long. Josiah said, and again, he's leading, he said to all of the leaders, prepare yourselves according to your father's houses by your divisions as prescribed in the writing of David, king of Israel, and the document of Solomon, his son. What is he talking about? So Josiah knows that they're about to provide massive sacrifices. We'll get down to these verses in a moment, but it's over 41,000 animals that are going to be sacrificed on behalf of the people. I know it's not pleasant, but that's just the way God prescribed it. It was a festival and a feast and a commemoration that involved animal sacrifice. 41,000 animals had to be sacrificed and cooked and dispersed in one day. 41,000. So, 
they were going to need a little order to get that done. And so Josiah says, remember what David wrote down. Remember what Solomon wrote down. I want you to do it according to the human instruction that worked in David's day. We're going to do it exactly like that today. Now, without going into getting bogged down here, let me just say this. I don't love tradition. Most of my experience with tradition has been negative. Not all of it, maybe not even most of it, but a lot of it, enough of it, to where when I hear the word tradition, I want to duck just simply because of the religious connotations to it that had had a negative impact on my life. But we're not talking about that kind of tradition. We're talking about a tradition that serves the purpose. You're in trouble when your purpose serves your tradition. But when your tradition serves your purpose, you're in good shape. And so David said, remember what David, excuse me, Josiah said, remember what David and Solomon did, we're going to do it that way. So every now and then when it comes to celebrating and walking out in the kingdom, you're going to have leaders that will put some human parameters on it. That's okay, just unclench, exhale. It's not necessarily just driving the Spirit of God out of the building. It just means this, in order to be who we need to be, as we grow and we enlarge and we want to make an impact, we're going to have to have structure. We'll have to have order. We'll have to have organization. But it's also a helpful order in verse number five. He says to the priest, stand in the holy place according to the groupings of the father's houses and of your, excuse me, of your brothers, the lay people, and according to the division of the Levites by the father's household. Um, Let me just give you this really quickly. The Levites were the priestly tribe. And in that priestly tribe of Levi, different families were assigned different functions in the priesthood. And they hadn't been doing their job for a long time. So Josiah had now gone and found all of the Levites and he said, you guys have been on this hill, you've been using your gifts and your callings that God gave you for himself, and you've been using them in these pagan ways, in these pagan shrines, in these pagan groves. I'm calling you to repent, you've cleansed yourself, now get back here and get in the place where the word of God assigns you to be. So it was a helpful order. Now, brothers and sisters, let me give you this, and I'm just going to pastor you here for a moment. Your assignment is your primary focus in ministry. Your assignment's different than mine. I am not supposed to do your assignment. Most often, I can't do your assignment. I was dialoguing with a man today, and he has unique giftings and abilities. My my talents, my abilities don't come within a thousand miles of what he can do. And he was struggling with the idea. He didn't think he measured up. And I had to tell him, your gifts and your abilities are perfect for your assignment. You're looking at my assignment wondering why you can't do it, and I'm telling him this. The reason why you can't do it is because you're not supposed to. You're supposed to stand in the place that God has appointed to you. I'm supposed to stand in the place that God has appointed to me. Do you know where we get messed up? It's when we try to stand in one another's places. When, when I try to fulfill your assignment, two things happen. I'm messing your assignment up, and you're not able to do it because I'm in the way. And so what we see here is we see this helpful order. The Levite tribe knew that where each family was supposed to minister. Just remember that as we move along together as a family. Remember this. One of the most important things you need to know and focus and stay focused on is, God, what is my assignment? Lord, what is my assignment? Because I don't want to get in the way of her assignment. And I don't want to frustrate them by inspecting their assignment. It's a beautiful thing in the body of Christ when we recognize I've got a job to do, and if I'll pour most of my attention, most of my focus, most of my resources in my assignment, then it's going to click on all eight cylinders. And if other people will do the same, we move together in a very helpful way. Verse number six, why do we do all of this? Because it's founded on a heavenly order. You've got a human order, a helpful order, and a heavenly order. Look in verse number six. Here it is. 
slaughter the Passover lamb. It's a good Wednesday night message when you use the word slaughter. I mean, that's just a type A kind of word there. But slaughter the Passover lamb. Consecrate yourselves. Prepare it for your brothers and do, here we go, according to the word of the Lord by Moses. Um, one of my favorite things to do, especially on Wednesday night, is to challenge you folks. Because a lot of the times your Wednesday night crowd is sometimes, not always, but the most hungry for the word. Because a lot of people, you could be doing a lot of other things tonight than sitting in church listening to a, a sermon. But, but a lot of you have just this hunger for the word. And so you're growing. And, and it gives me the ability to grow with you and to challenge you as we're growing. Let me just throw this out there. You probably already know it, but maybe the people that will listen on podcasts need to hear it. You may not need to hear it, but maybe they need to hear it. Someone to say it. What am I going to say? Listen. We're going to live according to the word of the Lord. That, that, that literally you never outgrow obedience to the word. And it's not chains wrapped around you. The, the word of God is not a chain wrapped around you to keep you struggling and, and suppressed and you know, suffocating and all of that stuff. No, the word of God is actually liberating when you commit yourself to it, when you believe it, and when you live it out. And so what he was saying here to them is he's saying to all of the priests, I want you to consecrate yourself, and I want you to go back and help get your brethren consecrated. And we're going to do everything that we're about to do for the Passover according to the word of the Lord. Um, I, I remember hearing a lot of sermons right after I became a Christian in 1994, and I heard a lot of preachers talking about, you better read your Bible, bless God. You better know the Word of God. If you don't memorize the Word of God, I doubt your salvation. Just all of this, oh. And the motivation for us reading the Bible back then, the way I was taught, is guilt and fear. That's not a real good motivator. Read the Bible or else. Dun, dun, dun. That, that's just not really going to get it done for us. Why do we want to read the Bible? Well, here's a very practical reason. So we can honor God by obeying it. How can we obey what we're ignorant of? Do you remember what got Israel in trouble in the first place in this whole story of Josiah? They didn't have the Bible for 57 years, so they were living in an ignorance of God, which led to leading, uh, living in rebellion against God, in, in opposition to God. But when a person will make up his or her mind, as a Christian, that they're going to start reading the Bible, not because it's a legalistic duty, but because it's God's self-revelation. You see, the Bible is God saying, I want to tell you all about myself, and I want to begin with this book. And you get grounded in the word. I'm a firm believer that it's, it's so helpful for us to be grounded in the word before we start go chasing the supernatural. I've met a lot of people that went chasing the supernatural who weren't grounded in the word, and they got all caught up in the gears of the supernatural, but they had no compass to tell them what was real, what was not real, what was God, what might not be God. And they, they oftentimes go in the ditch. But if you're filled with the word of God, you are so much closer to the access of living filled with the spirit. I think one of the things that we're going to grow in together is both of those things. We are an assembly that exalts the commitment to be people of the word and people of the spirit. And they're not in competition with each other. One of the beauties about Newbridge Church and the IHOP mission base, IHOP Atlanta mission base, is this, is that we're actually not making you choose between the Spirit of God and the Word of God. That we are, y'all with me tonight? Y'all okay? Okay, just making sure. Um, that we're actually going to really call you to go deep into both. Um, how many of us want to experience everything that the Holy Spirit has for us? 
Yeah, oh, that's, I mean, that's a silly question. I'm just making sure we're on the same page. But how many of us want to understand everything God's Word is able to teach us? I want both, man. And by the way, that's a lifetime of pursuit. Josiah is telling them we're about to do the most incredible thing that has been done in Israel in probably close to 90 years in celebrating the commemorative feast and the celebration of our deliverance from Egypt. And Josiah is just saying this, and fellas, we're going to do it right. We're going to do it in a way that we, knows, uh, that we know honors God. So go down with me now into verses 7, 8, and 9. And this is where I start getting excited. Because all of the preparation for the party has taken place, and now it's party day. And I don't mean that irreverently. Listen, Passover for them in this place is a, it's a celebration. It is a return to their roots. It is God smiling on them as they come back into intersection with him about how good it is to be redeemed and to be the covenant people of God. So it is, in essence, a holy party and so let's look at it because Josiah is going to do something else he not only established the order he not only facilitated the oneness with all of the people participating but he's now going to model generosity now look at this leadership friends because everybody was required by the by the word of God to bring a sacrifice to Passover and not everybody had it as a matter of fact, most of Israel would have been unprepared for the Passover because they hadn't known it was coming. Nobody living at that time, except the oldest of the old, had even been around when the last Passover had been celebrated. And so now they're being called to, to sacrifice some of their livestock and to come into the Passover. So it was a personal commitment towards generosity that Josiah displayed. The Bible says that for the feast, Josiah contributed to the lay people, to the common citizens. He contributed to the lay people as Passover offerings for all who were present, lambs and young goats from his flock to number 30,000. 30,000 lambs out of his own private farm and 3,000 bulls. Now, friends, we just read those numbers. Can you imagine 30,000 little sheep? I mean, 30,000 of those things. That would be a rough day, trying to corral all those guys. That's, that's like a bad job, amen? Get it? Get it? You got that? All of those sheep, 30,000. And then you, somebody's got to bring 3,000 bulls along. That's just out of Josiah's farm. And by the way, that's a lot of money. So the king said, I'm calling us all to sacrifice, and I'm going to model what sacrifice looks like. I'm going to be the first to be generous. That's an awesome trait to have in leadership. I believe as spirit-filled people, and whatever that means to you, I'm talking about being indwelt by the Holy Spirit and being fully yielded to the Holy Spirit. I'm not even talking about how that manifests. You should know whether or not you're spirit-filled. And it's not always just an issue of talking in tongues or not talking in tongues. Listen, I believe that I was filled with the Holy Spirit long before I ever spoke in tongues. Because being filled with the Spirit is the result of being completely yielded and surrendered to God with everything that you know about yourself. So this wasn't in the notes, but let me just say this. Some of you have never spoken in an unknown tongue. Some of you have never done that, and you would not consider yourself Spirit-filled. I would just say this. You might want to revisit it, because that's not really the only signal that tells a person whether they're Spirit-filled or not. If you go and read the passage in Ephesians, you're going to find out that the first thing that you find out about being filled with the Spirit is that you worship and you sing unto the Lord. Now, that didn't cost you anything extra, but I'm going to get right back to my text here. My point being is this. Generosity is, is something that happens to us when we're walking in the Spirit. 
Josiah models that. But what's so awesome is revival is starting to hit ancient Israel with this Passover, and it didn't stop with Josiah. Because look what happens. I call this a cascading willingness. It, It flowed down from Josiah into some of the other leaders. Look in verse number eight. His officials contributed willingly to the people. Josiah didn't make them. But they saw him doing it, and they said, we want to get in on this. And so the priests, the people, and the Levites also began to receive from these leaders with funny names. You got Hilkiah, Zechariah, Jehiel, the chief officers of the house of God. They gave to the priests for the Passovers 2,600 lambs and 300 bulls. So the number is climbing now. We're close to 40,000 animals, about 36,000 animals there, all being brought together for the Passover. And now in verse number 9, you're going to see this powerful release. You see all of this generosity getting prepared, and then boom, the moment happens. Look in verse number 9. I'm just going to try these names. Conaniah also, Shemaiah, Nathanael, his brothers, (sighs) John Boy, Freddie, um, Bill, and the chief of the Levites gave to the Levites for the Passover offerings 5,000 lambs and young goats and 500 bulls. Okay, I want you to use your imagination. One of the things that I like to do is remind us the Bible's not a fairy tale. This really happened. So there's a day in ancient Israel when 41,400 animals, by biblical count, are brought to the temple in a 16-hour period. And you've got an unnumbered amount of priests whose jobs were to sacrifice the animal. They then take the blood of the animal. Most of them were, were lambs, but some of them were goats. Some of them were bulls. And they take the blood and they fling it on the altar. And it's a commemoration, according to the word of God, that God used the blood of lambs in Egypt to protect them from the angel of death. Then the carcasses of those animals are cooked. They're not going to go lay it to waste. And so everybody, we're going to see this in a second, Everybody has a a lamb, a sacrificial lamb provided for them or a sacrificial animal. The the obedience to the word of God is instructed. I just like to look at this from King Jesus' position. I just picture this. This is my imagination. It's not Bible, but I think we're on target here. I just see Jesus watching this for the first time in 90 years in Israel. And he's seeing all of the sacrifices and all of the blood. And the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so I know it's gory. I know it's gross. It's kind of off for us in a dignified, civilized society. But this is the truth of God's word. And so Jesus is looking at it. And every single lamb, he says, that represents me. I'm going to be the antitype to that type. I'm going to be the fulfillment of what is happening there. My blood is going to be shed. But until that moment comes, they are remembering what my father did for them in Egypt. And I just picture the Lord looking down on their faithful obedience with such pleasure that now his covenant people are finally back in line with him. There's nothing left undone. They've cleared the land of the idols. They have said to all of the wicked practices, we will not practice these anymore. They have repented before God. They are now commemorating the Passover according to the word of God, and it's a time of celebration. Friends, I, I just want to say this. I think maybe, maybe some need to hear this tonight. God actually wants you to enjoy your life. And he wants your life to be centered in him so you can enjoy it, so you can legitimately enjoy it. So the idea of God is that cosmic killjoy. He's going to steal all of your fun. 
He's going to make sure that you look as sad as possible so people think you're spiritual. He, he, want, he wants you to frown because frowning is a fruit of the Spirit according to most religious circles in the Bible Belt. And, um, you know, you, you need to kind of just look kind of discouraged all the time because that shows you're serious about him. That's the way, you know, nobody ever teaches that stuff, but a lot of people model that. And the reality is that I believe the Christian life is much more of a festival than it is a funeral. Is the cross intense and heavy? Yes. Is our sin awful? Yes. But the beauty of being a Christian is, is, is that all of that's taken away. In the sense of your guilt and your shame and all of your, 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 your distance from God. And now the only cross we bear, we bear for him and we bear with him because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And it all brings eternal reward. And so if we'll get our mind off the temporary troubles and the struggles and the demands and the challenges and the frustrations and the disappointments, I mean, you can live there if you want, but I'm not going to live there with you. I'll go there to help you, but if that's where you're determined to stay, you're going to just have to hang out there for a bit until you get sick of it. You call on us, we'll come and get you. But the, 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 the Christian life is meant to be a celebration. We just sang it tonight. Death. Is there anything more final to human beings than death? Well, there is for the Christian. What is it? That Jesus conquered death. The resurrection is more final than death for the Christian. So we have overcome. We've won. We're victorious. And yet we, we struggle at times to celebrate it, don't we? Man, we get all the stuff, man. You ever get any swirling stuff in your head? Somebody please say yes so I don't feel like a freak. Okay. I get stuff swirling in my head, and it just swirls in there, and hours can go by, and I, I have to preach to myself. I'll stand up in my office, and I'll say, Jeff! It'll scare me. What? Why are you thinking like that, man? I, I don't know. I just forgot about Jesus for a minute. Well, let's think about Jesus. And then I snap out and say, who was I just talking to? But the, <laughs> the, the reality is this. Sometimes we need to preach ourselves back into the position that we need to be in. And by the way, nobody talks to you more than you. So we need to make sure we're saying the right things to ourselves. And I just think every now and then you ought to give yourself permission as a born-again, forgiven, justified, redeemed, accepted, completed, resurrected child of God. Just give yourself permission to say, I think I'm going to celebrate right now. You may not be able to celebrate your checking account. You may not be able to celebrate what you're looking, what's looking back at you at the mirror. God knows I have struggled with that at times. You may not be able to celebrate all the temporary and the peripheral things. Man, if you just get quiet and still and just say, Holy Spirit, just tell me how good Jesus has made it for me. And if you'll just sit there for a little bit, the comforter is going to come and comfort you and encourage you and bless you. So they're celebrating in Israel and they're not apologizing for it. Can, can we make sure that this house remains a house of celebration? Can we just go after that really intensely? I know that man, we are really, really serious about taking territory for the king and to toppling strongholds and pulling down principalities. And we're going to go after that. But man, I don't want it to all just be about work. I don't want it to all be demand and grind and intensity and discipline and sacrifice. That's always going to be there. That's part of it. But do you know when that stuff starts losing its purpose is when we fail or forget to celebrate with purposeful celebration. So when we gather together, especially on Sundays, most of the time, you know what we're going to do? We're going to celebrate. Why? Because the week has sucked the life out of you. 
has, has tried to reshape your identity, has tried to discourage you. And so when we step in on the first day of the week, on Sundays, we step into the house of worship, we're going to celebrate. Listen, people are going to dance. They might wave flags. They're going to shout. They're going to sing. They're going to twirl. Even guys like me that don't have rhythm are going to dance. Why? Because, man, you just can't tell your feet to stop when your heart is just pumping with that stuff. And so we are people to celebrate. There's different ways to do it. I'm not saying that there's not a time for seriousness and quietness and, you know, um, solemn assemblies and all of that stuff. But brothers and sisters, I really do believe those are the exceptions. They're not to be the rule. The rule is to be looking upon him in whom our life is hidden and saying, you're so awesome. I just cannot be quiet today. I cannot. And then we get with each other, you know, and I'm looking at this one over here who's losing his ever-loving mind for the king. And I'm like, I want some of that on me. And, and friends, listen, it's contagious. That doesn't mean it's carnal. My goodness, if we see people rejoicing and our response is not to get into kind of a groove with that, there's something wrong. I don't want to run from a celebration. I want to be in that thing, man. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but I'm enjoying it myself. I hope you are. So you've got all of these animals being sacrificed. I'm just about out of town. Uh, out of town. About out of time. So let me, let me get down in this next section. Josiah now facilitates partnership. This is not my favorite part of the message, so I'm going to go quick here because I want to end on a high note. Again, cooperation among the priests. These represent the leaders. So when the service had been prepared for, here's the moment. The priests stood in their place. Everybody's exactly where they need to be, according to the word. And the Levites in their divisions, according to the king's command, they obeyed their leader. That's a good thing to do. And they slaughtered the Passover lamb. First time in almost 90 years that the first lamb had been slaughtered in um, celebration and commemoration of the deliverance from Egypt. And the priests threw the blood that they had received from them uh, while the Levites flayed the sacrifices, that just means they were cutting the, the meat, and they set aside uh, the burnt offerings that they might distribute them according to the groupings of the fathers' houses of the lay people to uh, offer it to the Lord as it is written in the book of Moses, and so they did with the bulls. Okay, what does all that mean? It just means, okay, the wheels began to roll. It began to happen again. And once it began, it didn't stop until 41,000 plus sacrifices were given. And all of the people experienced a moment of revelation in the sense of we are now realigned with the Lord. And all of the people received a sacrifice to give, but it even gets better than that. Go down into verse number 13. There was blessing upon the people. It wasn't just some religious exercise. The Bible says they roasted the Passover lamb with fire according to the rule or the statute, according to the word of God. They boiled the holy offerings in pots and cauldrons and in pans and carried them quickly to all the lay people. Now, here's the cool thing. This is why I say it was a party. It wasn't just the sacrifice and then they walk away empty-handed. When they, when they cook the sacrifices, the people eat. They eat the meat. And so it's not only a spiritual exercise, there's physical pleasure attached to it. Listen, I'm a barbecue guy. It's summer. I'm about ready to kick up the grill. And they were barbecuing as unto the Lord. Amen. And they, they were cooking all of the meat. And the people would go home and they would eat it. And so everybody's being blessed from what had been offered unto the Lord. That's the way it ought to be. If you're upset about what you're offering to the Lord, you're not doing it right. You get me? If what you're offering to the Lord causes you to be mad 
or bitter or perpetually frustrated, you need a time out, man. You just need to get alone with Jesus and say, will you recalibrate my heart? Because what we offer the Lord, like I tell you, man, there, there's a lot of things I love to do, but I'm not good at much. I'm really not, I'm not being uh, falsely humble. I can say that. I'm not even upset about it. I'm not good at a lot of things, but I know what I'm supposed to do in the kingdom. And there's two things that crank my truck on earth. I love to preach, teach what I'm doing right now. But you know what my favorite thing is? And some of you probably will be surprised by it. I would rather prophesy over people than preach the word. Now, I know some of you don't like that, and I didn't say I was going to quit preaching the word, but there is some thread of Holy Spirit-fused energy that hits me when, when we're in a prophetic moment, and, and God's calling out stuff, and I, 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 don't, I don't know the person, I don't know what's going on in their life, but I just feel the Lord ripping through me into them. I would rather do that all day long than just keep dissecting Scripture, and I'm glad I don't have to choose between the two. I love to do what he's called me to do. There's something out there for you. You may not know what it is yet, but go on the adventure with the Holy Spirit and ask him to continue to lead you until you find your groove and you hit it and you fall in that place that God's had ordained for you from all of time. I can look at people at times that aren't even born again yet and I can see up, oh, they're going to get saved. They're going to accept Jesus. They're going to have a moment where they're convicted of their sin. They're going to recognize that Christ loves them and died for them. They're going to accept Jesus as the Lord of their life. And boom, this is what's going to happen in their life. Some of you are like that. You can look at somebody. You can say, they don't know their calling yet, but I do. And that's an awesome thing when that person does get saved or that person that's already saved finds that moment. They say, oh, this is the acre in the kingdom that God wants me to work. And I want to tell you something. I believe that's a breakthrough moment. Um, you, help me, Lord, say this well. You have an internal inheritance that Jesus has provided for. Every Christian has that internal inheritance. It's eternal life. It's the presence of God abiding within. It is the, the fruit and the gifts of the Spirit. We have that internal inheritance. But you also have an external inheritance. And many Christians who have the internal inheritance have not pursued the external inheritance. It's your purpose. It's your place. It's your people. You know, you have a tribe. Did you know that you have a tribe? One of the things that I searched for, I am so far off the mark on this message, but Lord, just give me grace. I started talking about prophesying, now I feel like doing it. The, the, when, when you get linked up with your tribe, you're like, oh, these are my people. This is who I'm supposed to do kingdom life with. Now, oftentimes that's in a local assembly, but even in a local assembly, you might find, especially in a growing one like this, you might find a group of people within that assembly and, and, and you're, the spirit in you witnesses with the spirit in them. And all of a sudden, it's, you've got the synchronicity in the spirit going on that, that the Lord is just moving in a continuity with you like that. You're going to laugh at me, but I'm going to tell you, the, uh, and I know where my tribe is. My tribe is here. My, this is my place. This is my time and all that. But man, when I was in Africa a few years ago, I was the Mzungu. Do you know what that means? That, that's what they call me. I'm, I was the white boy. And so I'm walking down the streets of Moshe, Tanzania, and I, I'm just happy, man. I'm like, man, this is awesome. I, if there's two of me, Lord, I want to live with one of me here. And I just keep hearing Mzungu. Hey, Mzungu. 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 And I was like, hey, they, they're making up a name for me. And my, the guy who was leading me goes, no, man, that's what they call all of y'all. 
I'm like, oh, okay, I got you now. It means the white guy. But the beauty of it was this. I remember sitting out on a, on, on a street corner, and the guy who was with me, his name's so Peter Onziri, he's a pastor now in Kenya, and he says, okay, brother, look, we're going to go to the street corner. I said, all right, let's do it. And he hands me a stack of Bibles, and he steps back and goes, now I want you to preach to all these people. I'll translate. I'm thinking, uh, are, are we allowed to do it? All, all of a sudden, I became very American. And, and I was like, are we allowed to? And he goes, preach. So I just started preaching. There wasn't anybody there. It was like three people at a bus stop. Within like five minutes, there's like 50 people there to hear what the crazy little Mzungu has to say about God. But listen, why am I saying all this? There was a connection there. Your tribe may last you your lifetime or it may be seasonal. The point being is this. It's part of your external inheritance. There's a people, a place, and a purpose for you. And I really, really hope that we'll press into that. Six minutes and I'm done. Just go with me to the very end. Matthew, if you can uh, follow me on the screen or whoever's running the slides down to uh, Josiah instituting the celebration. It's verses 16 through 19. Here it is. Three things I want all of us to get and to get more deeply. They were believing that God is worthy to celebrate. Don't assume this in our lives. Verse 16 says, So all the service of the Lord was prepared that day to keep the Passover and to offer burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord according to the command of King Josiah. And the people of Israel who were present kept the Passover at that time and the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days. And so it began on that day. And then according to the Word of God, they moved immediately into seven days of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread where they would purge their house, house of all bread and products that might have yeast in it. But it was a, to typify a cleansing and a separation unto God. And they celebrated for seven days. I'm, I, you know, I, I'm a Christian. I'm not a, I'm not a Hebrew. But, but the Jews know how to celebrate God. And I mean that as reverently as that can be. They take their time. Uh, in Passover week and the Feast of Unleavened Bread now, sometimes bakeries will shut down over there, stores will shut down, they'll close off the bread aisle in Jerusalem and, and is Jewish cities, and, and they will just take their time to celebrate the Lord. American Christians, slow down a little if you can. Slow down. Soak it up. We got one shot at living on earth. We got one shot to enjoy him down here by faith. It's really, really important that we remember the little stuff just needs to remain little. Don't get all bent out of shape over stuff that's just going to be done in a week, a month, a year, or a decade. Just, just exhale and relax and just, Lord, speak to me. Lord, shine on me. Lord, smile on me. Lord, let me, let me just be aware of you. And, and they took their time. Why? Because they just believed that God's worthy to celebrate. I think we do, Right? But we get clouded sometimes, we get distracted. And I believe one of the things that'll happen in this season for all of us is God's gonna show his greatness to us again. Second to last thing, believing God is worthy of extravagant celebration. That's a whole new level. Look at verse number 18. No Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. None of the kings of Israel had such a Passover as was kept by Josiah and the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel who were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So if I'm just taking my Bible literally, this is what the Holy Spirit inspired this passage to say, that that Passover was off the charts, that it was so extravagant and lavish and full of substance that the Holy Spirit inspired the chronicler to say this, 
Yeah, Israel had never seen anything like that before. I, I said this Sunday, and I'm going to say it again. I am so weary of reading about historical and past movements that were so explosive and, and, and passionate and lavish and substantial. Don't, do you ever get grieved with just having to read about it but not getting to walk in it? I want to walk in it. Matter of fact, I'm going to strengthen that. I'm a gunner. I'm going to walk in that kind of stuff. And I, I want to walk with all of you. And I want to walk with a whole lot more people. And I believe that if we'll want it and we'll pursue him and we'll go after him. Because you see, it's not about getting a celebration from him. It's about stepping into a celebration in him. And to carrying that out and living in that. And they did it to the, where the, the, the Bible just says, yeah, they had never seen anything like that before. It was off the charge. Verse number 19, and I'm, I'm really done. I'm out of verses. They were believing that God is worthy of an immediate response. This is where we need to end on, right here. In the 18th year of the reign of Josiah, this Passover was kept. He found the Bible in the 18th year of his reign. He cleansed the land in the 18th year of his reign. He celebrated the Passover in the 18th year of his reign. You want to get something from Josiah's character in life? Get this. The dude lived with an urgency about God. He didn't dilly-dally. He didn't stroll. He didn't wait. He didn't look around and wish somebody else would make it happen. He went after the Lord with a passion and a zeal. Why? Because he knew that his God was worthy of an immediate response. 